You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Thank you, Lauren, for that wonderful introduction. So first, I would like to make a few shout outs. So shout out to the appointed class. Okay. Uh, Shout out to the cross country team. Ooh. And shout out to my roommate. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So just going to lower that down a little bit. There we go. So as Kellett mentioned earlier, our theme for today is trusting God in the chaos. So to set the scene for that, I would like to start out with an analogy. This analogy is centered around a common movie plot, one you've probably seen before, probably in a romantic movie. So what usually happens in these movies is the writers and the producers drive you crazy because they make it really obvious who's supposed to be together but something just keeps on happening throughout the whole movie that keeps them apart. Even when it's finally looking like they're gonna get to live happily ever after, something happens, they get in a fight, something happens. So flash forward to the end of the movie. The scene is usually set in some sort of chaotic space like an airport, a concert, or some big school dance. But the problem with the end of this movie is only one of the people are there. And the audience and that main character are both waiting in anticipation if the other person is, is the other person going to show up? Are you guys following? Have you seen this before? Probably. So then all of the season, all, all of the season, all of the sudden, the scene kind of goes slow motion. And the person there at, let's say it's the school dance, they turn around and they look at the door and they see the person who they were supposed to be with all along standing there. As they lock eyes, you can see the tension and the anxiety and the stress just fall out of them because their person showed up. So now I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine yourself in a crowded room filled with all of the chaos of your life. Maybe that chaos is issues in your family. Maybe it's a sick relative. Maybe it's stress about your future. Maybe it's a difficult friendship or a relationship. Maybe it's just the heaviness and the tension of the state of our country. Whatever the chaos is in your life right now, I want you to picture yourself in a room with all of it surrounding you. And then picture yourself turning around, looking at the door, and seeing Jesus standing there. Take a moment to notice that the living God is noticing you. As your eyes lock, the tension and the anxiety and the stress all fade away. Take a moment to notice that the living God, the one who you were supposed to be with all along, even when things kept happening, even when you maybe were running away, he showed up for you today in the middle of all the chaos. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for showing up for us. Thank you for noticing us. 
I pray that you will open our ears to what you have to say to us today. Now, may the words in my mouth and the meditation in my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. All right. So today I would like to focus on a passage from Philippians 4. The book of Philippians has been one of my favorite books for quite some time because it's really unique because of the fact that Paul wrote it while he was in prison. I'm sure you guys have heard that a lot, but if you really let that sink in, that's pretty powerful. So when thinking about trusting God in the chaos and in the spirit of alliteration, when going through this passage, I'm going to be focusing on three words, all starting with the letter P. Presence, prayer, and peace. So let's jump into the text beginning in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your forbearance be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I feel like whenever we first hear this call to rejoice always, it seems impossible, it seems confusing. But something that I have been learning lately is that I believe I have been misinterpreting what Paul really means when he says to rejoice always. It is not meant to be an escape or an avoidance of adversities of our lives. It is not meant to be a magical method in which somehow forcing ourselves to smile will resolve all of our problems. What Paul is calling us to is actually something radically different. What he really means by rejoice in the Lord always is actually revealed in the next verse when he says, let your forbearance be evident to all. So forbearance has been translated as patient self-control or gentleness, but the original Greek term actually conveys the idea of living according to an established structure of reality in the face of alternatives, especially threatening ones. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a lot. <laughs> Forbearance is living according to an established structure of reality in the face of alternatives, especially threatening ones. Paul is indicating that Christ's disciples are to live their lives with a particular order of being, not doing, but being. This state of being involves letting go of our fragile systems of control and instead involves living a life that revolves around knowing and believing in the reality of the living God. When we live in the reality that the Lord is near, that the Lord is present, that the Lord is noticing you, that the Lord showed up for you, we are set free to rejoice in the Lord always, even in the face of loss, grief, and pain. The living God is noticing you. He's looking at you, and he showed up for you. Are you looking back at him, or are you looking somewhere else? Let's move on to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So there are four words in, these, in this verse that stick out to me. Prayer, supplication, request, and thanksgiving. And probably the 400 times that I have read or heard this verse before, all of these words have just kind of seemed to blend together and have seemed to mean the same thing. But something I have learned recently is that there is an incredible lesson to be learned in the individual meaning, meaning and order of these words. 
Beginning with prayer, this seems to be Paul's term for the deep inner posture of one's being toward God in openness and responsiveness. The word he uses for prayer here is the same word he uses in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when he encourages us to pray constantly. And it's the same word he used in Colossians 4.2 when he called us to continue steadfastly in prayer. This posture of praying without ceasing seems to be a posture of fulfillment that provides deep support for all of the activities and relationships of our lives. With this term, Paul seems to call us not to isolated actions, but to a habitual, continuous orientation of our being towards God. Moving on to supplication. Supplication is there to remind us of the nature of a supplicant. A supplicant is one who recognizes his or her own condition of inadequacy and also acknowledges the adequacy, power, and ability of the one whose aid is sought. Paul is calling us to be continually turned to God as the source of our sufficiency in every circumstance. So my question for you is, are you turning to God for your contentment or are you turning to something else? Are you completely and utterly dependent upon his power, or are you relying on the things of this world for your fulfillment? Just like this pandemic has shown us, the things we hold on to so tightly as our source of sufficiency can be gone in an instant. The things we hold on to so tightly can easily disappoint us and let us down when it's not God. So I just want to encourage all of us that maybe it's time that we stop looking to ourselves and we stop looking to the world and we instead begin to look at God as our source of sufficiency. So with that, a key point that I want you to see is that prayer and supplication are not reactions to circumstances. They are the habits of the heart by which we meet troublesome events of life. Having established the posture of the disciple's heart toward God in the midst of chaos, Paul then speaks of request. But now these requests are within a different fr frame of reference. If we have not first entered into the posture of prayer and supplication, our requests tend to be narrowly focused on our own agenda. However, within this new frame of reference of being continuously oriented towards God and in continuous acknowledgement of his sufficiency, our request can, be, can begin to become the bridge between our own desires and, our, and the purposes of God. So lastly, Paul instructs us to make our request with thanksgiving. Again, just like the concept of rejoicing, thanksgiving is not just some magical formula that guarantees God's hearing and response, and it is not a way of manipulating God to solve our problems in our own way. Rather, thanksgiving is the deep inner posture of the joyful release of our life and being to God in absolute trust, without demands, without conditions, without reservations. If Paul's call to forbearance is put into action by our request in a posture of prayer and supplication, thanksgiving fulfills his call to rejoice in the Lord. Thus, Paul's teaching on trust comes full circle. I would love to give you one more short analogy as my time with you comes to a close. So for many years, I played basketball, and there was always something that amazed me. Even at our games, when the gym was packed with so many people in the stands, there were the cheerleaders, the whistles were blowing, the scoreboard was beeping. Even with all of that noise, with all of that chaos, when my coach called out a play, I could hear him. 
You see, there is this incredible thing that begins to happen when you trust someone. You begin to listen more closely and hear them more clearly. You begin to recognize their voice, even amidst the noise. I pray that as you begin to orient your life in a way that rests the whole weight of its being in God's presence and purpose, you will begin to intimately and personally hear the voice of God, even in the chaos. As we learn to truly trust God, we come to, we come to the last verse of our passage for today. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is an active reality that has the power to shape and guide our lives as we choose to trust in him. So presence, prayer, and peace. When you begin to notice the presence of God in your life, in your prayer life, an acknowledgement of the sufficiency of Christ begin to become habits of the heart. The peace of God will be with you, and it will transcend all of the chaos. Notice him, trust him, look back at him, and have peace. I don't know what chaos you're facing in your life right now. I don't know how many times in your movie of life you have strayed away from the person who you were always supposed to be with. But I do know one thing. God is always going to show up for you. I encourage you that as we go away from this space and carry on with the rest of our day, that you just take some time to reflect on the fact that the living God is noticing you, and he is near. Let's pray together. Dear God, I just thank you for being near. I thank you for being someone that we can trust and that we can get um, everything we could ever need on. Help us to depend on you. Help us to learn to hear your voice amidst the chaos. I pray for Grant as he comes up and um, shares more of your word with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I'll be reading today from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So if you hear nothing else from me today, if you tune out, uh, I want you to hear this. When we accept stillness in our lives, we welcome God's abundant provision. So a couple summers ago, I uh, took a midterm trip, five weeks to Paraguay with World Gospel Mission. And if you didn't know, Paraguay is in South America, and like any good Latin American country, uh, Paraguay is all about soccer. And for me, that was very, very helpful since I've played all of zero years of soccer in my life. Uh, but that didn't stop me from going out every Monday night to the men's soccer gatherings at this one church. But it did not take the guys there very long to figure out that soccer was not my sport of choice. 
So they kindly told me that my services that I had to offer them would best be spent in the goal. Uh, and this is because they knew while I was in the goal, uh, I was not interfering with anything they were doing on the field, and I was, if anything, a slow-moving object that the team had to kick around in order to score. Uh, so the expectations for me were obviously not very high. So whenever I did make a save, and I'm not talking about when the other team missed and I took credit for it, uh, but when I actually made a save, then there was a celebration. It was a great, great feeling. But there was one time that I made a save, and it did not feel very good. I was standing in the goal, and one of the strikers from the other team, and if you don't know soccer well enough to know what a striker is, uh, all you really need to know is that strikers kick the ball very accurately at a very high velocity. And this striker, very accurately, at a very high velocity, kicked the ball straight into a spot that as a guy I did not like very much. Uh, and so many of the guys there had a great laugh about it while I was writhing in pain on the floor. Uh, but I can look back at that experience now, now, and say that it was a great time. I, it was a it was a fun time to be with them. It was a great experience. But I had a secret that I was keeping from them. While well, I had a lot of fun and great moments while I was in Paraguay, I put on a face that hit a very real and serious depression in my life. One I look back on now as the lowest and hardest point in my entire life. The thing is, that facade I was putting on, that a happy missionary living the happy life, sharing Jesus in a foreign country, that all quickly faded from me. I was all alone in a foreign place without any of my family or friends, and I could only really talk to the two missionaries that I was living with because I couldn't speak or understand Spanish well enough to talk to anyone else. I quickly came to realize that the people and things that I had been relying on for my strength were not enough. Exodus 14, 14, uh, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The words that I said at the beginning, these were some of the few words and verses that I clung to while I was in Paraguay during this time. I first discovered this verse actually when I woke up to it uh, on my lock screen from my Bible app. And I believe that there's a lot of truth in this verse. And not only because of uh, reading it that morning, but because of the truth I experienced while I was in Paraguay. And I've since learned more, and I want to share with you today what I've learned about that. But I believe it's important to first look at this verse in its context. So just like me, the Israelites were very spiritually and emotionally weak. They had just fled Egypt on foot, and now the same people who had held them captive as slaves for many, many years were coming back to get them. You can imagine the exhaustion and the defeat that they were experiencing as their backs were faced to the Red Sea nowhere else to go. This was actually the first time of many that the Israelites complained to Moses about going back to Egypt to be slaves. Uh, you hear that in the text. But anyways, the Israelites were literally at the point where no one else could save them other than God. This is how I felt when I realized that the only thing that would get me out of bed in the morning was divine intervention. And maybe, maybe you have felt like that before. The Israelites were convinced that they were going to die that day. They kept saying to Moses that he had led them to the desert just to die. This brings us to verse 14, 
the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, there's two main parts that you hear. Uh, so I want to offer what I've learned from both parts separately and together. So when it comes to the first part, there are two things that I've learned. First, God will always, always fight for you. The verse does not say the Lord might fight for you. It does not say that he may fight for you. It says the Lord will fight for you. There is no maybe about it. So once I woke up to the reality of God's presence and protection over me and Paraguay, it felt as though he was always by my side. I felt like as I was walking the streets in Paraguay that he was right there with me. I felt extremely comforted by this, and this is what eventually led to my resurfacing out of this deep hole that I was in. But I can uh, talk more about that in a minute. So, number two, the second thing that I've learned from this first part of the verse, that the Lord will fight for you. You do not earn God's protection. You can only respond to it. Notice the order of the phrases in this verse. It does not start with, you need only to be still, and then the Lord will fight for you. It is not a conditional phrase, an if-then statement that if you are still, the Lord will fight for you. No, it starts with the fact that the Lord will fight for you. This means that there is nothing you can do to deserve this protection from God. He protects you out of the ever-abundant love and care that he has for you. But while there is nothing you can do to earn his protecting and comforting, he does call us to respond to it. And that leads us to the next part of the verse. You need only to be still. But what does it actually mean to be still? When I think of the word still, uh, and you might think of this as well, I think of a young child being told by their teacher or their parent to sit still or be still because they're always really fidgety, right? But the original Hebrew meaning of this phrase, to be still, means to bear silently, or in other words, to be quiet. So it was often used actually to tell someone to be quiet. One translation of this verse in the ESV Bible uh, actually says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Moses is basically telling the Israelites here to shut up. He knew that God was going to do something amazing and awesome in the lives of of the Israelites, but he knew that they needed to stop their whining, their crying out in fear, and their yelling at Moses, and they needed to wait on the Lord's salvation for them. God brought me to a point in Paraguay where I was forced to silence the voice of my family and friends back home, and I was literally silenced because I couldn't speak or talk to 95% of the people that I interacted with. It felt like all I had left was him. So after this, I stopped trying to fight my depression by myself, and I gave in to this silence or stillness that God had been trying so hard to get me to. And when I finally gave in to that, I felt a miracle happen inside of me. I woke up one morning, and I felt a supernatural energy. I began to speak and understand Spanish better than I ever had in my entire life. But most importantly, my eyes were finally opened to the things that God was doing in Paraguay. And it led me to many different ministry opportunities that I had not even dreamed of being able to have while I was there. This was similar to the miracle that God performed right in front of the Israelites' eyes as he parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through. 
I don't know where you are today, uh, but I do know that whatever you're going through, big or small, clinical depression, or a bad grade on an assignment, the Lord is and will always be fighting for you. God is fighting for you no matter what, but are you willing to be silent, to be still in the midst of that? To be still and to silence ourselves is really like a power move into trusting God, because when we do that, we are naming God as our only source of authority over our lives. And this is why when we accept stillness in our lives, we welcome God's abundant protection. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your protection and your comforting presence. Lord, teach us today and remind us of what it means to silence ourselves so that we can hear and trust you better and welcome your abundant protection and provision that you have over our lives. In your name I pray. Amen.